Welcome to the Viewless Wings Poetry Podcast, where we celebrate the craft of poetry. Each week, we feature interviews with incredible poets and artists, including Olivia Gatwood and A.E. Stallings, and original poetry read by the authors. I'm your host, James Moorhead, poet laureate of Dublin, California, and author of Canvas and Portraits of Red and Gray. This week's episode of the Viewless Wings Poetry Podcast features four wonderful poets reading their original poems around the theme of new beginnings. Sit back, relax, and enjoy these wonderful poets reciting their works. Hello, my name is Sarah Bricault. I have a PhD in neurobiology and currently work as a postdoc in that field when I'm not writing poetry. My fascination with the mind and how it processes information often finds itself in my poetry, as do themes related to mental health. As far as where this poem came from, it really started in a conversation I was having with some friends about how one visualizes objects. If you close your eyes and think of an object, an apple, for example, do you see a bright three-dimensional picture of an apple? Or are you able to visualize the apple at all? Or is it somewhere in between? And when I asked myself this question, the answer that came to me was not really visual at all. I really get a sense of the appleness of the thing. And to try and explain this, I wrote this poem. So this poem is called When I Close My Eyes and Think Apple. Red and green ones march across the wallpaper. An apple-shaped clock chimes the hour. The sugar and flour nestle in ceramic apples. Everything is like the first day of school. Even the platter of sandwiches boasts an apple-on-plaid pattern. I remember there once was a cat in this kitchen, but it's like a memory of a dream, fraying at the seams, and I do not know what the cat looked like or what her name was, but there is a cat-shaped hole in this orchard of a kitchen, a memory of a memory of a cat, and I remember this kitchen always smelled like cigarettes when she was here, before the oxygen, and sometimes they gave me clothes and I thought they smelled like grandma, when really they smelled like smoke. But there isn't a grandma-shaped hole in this kitchen, because they are the same shape in my memory. She was always this kitchen, apples everywhere. And I know that's not true, but it's where I hugged her hello and goodbye, where I had to be careful not to step on the oxygen line, where Grandpa would tickle me to the floor, where that tiny kitchen table holds in its breath so it can squeeze into the nook, where I would dread the inevitable raspy questions about my love life. Is there a special boy yet? We went apple picking this year, and I felt like I was reinventing the apple, putting another facet to the memory, evolving the vision to something crisp and clear and new, where we stand on tiptoes and gently twist before the trees give way, and there's this ghost of grandma in the orchard, apples everywhere. We bring home a bag, and I admit I am glad that when I bite into the crisp sweetness and close my eyes, I see more than simple fruit. Hello, I'm Nikita Jiaprakash. I'm a high school senior, but I've been writing poetry since I was seven. And I love every aspect of literature, whether that's reading, writing, or reciting. I'm also Pleasanton's Teen Poet Laureate for this year, which has given me a chance to inspire other people to be interested in poetry, 
writing, and self-expression. This is a collection of three poems that I call The Thoughts I Share in Privacy. This poem is called Counting on the Porch. I wrote this when I was feeling overwhelmed. One, two, three, four, five. My mind wants me dead or alive. She's cursed with a loud mind, the thoughts pounding, pulsing like they had a heartbeat of their own, coming faster than her hands can write, never creative enough to make known, going faster than her lips can say, never a commitment to which she can be sworn. She settles down on the porch, her bare feet pushing into the wooden floor to know she's grounded. She looks up to the same night sky as the night before that never fails to leave her astounded, and because there are more stars than her thoughts, she doesn't feel so surrounded. So she counts. Her breath hovers in the night air, sounding just above a whisper. The clouds in her mind start to move in, threatening to eclipse her. So she counts, again and again, before her own insanity grips her. She never brings a blanket. The warmth gives an unwanted comfort that can't provide a distraction. The cold gives her something to hold on to, to give her stride some traction. Her shivers relieve her mind of some of its tension in this cold dissatisfaction. She'll pour out her thoughts to the night sky that bears its weight so she doesn't have to, to the night sky that longs to forget, just like she wants to do, to the night sky that holds her to reality in an undeniable truth. And so she counts. In order for her thoughts to be freed and her mind to be restrained, she waits for the night sky, for some semblance of calm to be feigned. She's shivering, but she's beginning to feel safe, so she can't complain. She finds solace in her shortcoming, knowing that she focuses on something that she'll never fathom, relishing in an idea bigger than any of her own to which she can succumb, before her thoughts plan her own mutiny and trap her in her mind's asylum. One, two... Three. Please let me be. This poem is called Grim Reaper. I wrote this when I was feeling overshadowed. Grim Reaper, Grim Reaper. He had such a sly, innocent entrance. I should have seen the darkness in his presence. He came in asking for a peaceful truce. So I put away my knife and took a breath. It was the one I would have never guessed. The one who ran his lithe fingers through my black tresses. Seemingly getting out the stubborn knots and tangles, but truly trying to get a better grip, my neck at a more vulnerable angle. Oh, how I wish I had kept my hand on the blade's handle. Grim Reaper of dreams, with truth as his side, muttering sarcasm, but I know what's implied. He pushes me down even though I've already tripped, my pleas lost as soon as they reach my lips, but he begs me to stay aboard a sinking ship. He throws me underwater, wondering why I don't take a breath. He drags me down deeper and deeper, knowing I can't take the depth. His whispered apologies, barely audible, like his sincerity is a secret. Grim reaper of perseverance, with failure as his scythe, unable to convince me of anything but lies. During the time of surrender, he'll leave me in the trenches. If victory comes, he'll claim I never left the benches, ignorant of his repercussions and consequences. In battle, he shot me with a gun and missed me by an inch. He swore he didn't want to, but I saw he didn't even flinch, ignorant of the gunpowder on his hands and my pained wince. Grim reaper of hope, with reality as his scythe, yet he has no rules, no morals to abide. I want to get him back, hunt the hunter, kill the killer, but given the chance, I wouldn't be able to pull the trigger. My hatred is great, 
but the expectance of guilt is bigger. He was never there for me, he pushed me on the wrong path, he was the illusion of friendship, a trust fall with no catch. He rises completely unscathed from the bloodbath. Grim reaper of innocence, with cruelty as his scythe, until only my heartbeat can remind me that I'm still alive. He's always there, surrounded in a shroud of lies, only it's too late now that I've looked past his disguise. I was too susceptible to the gift that was truly a bribe. Broken by the betrayal of my most trusted ally, now every stranger I meet, I think they hold aside. Every interaction, I expect manipulation and lies. Grim Reaper, Grim Reaper, your reputation will never precede you, because even if you admitted your crimes, no one would believe you. This poem is called Swings, Church, and Shoes. It was inspired by three images of those things. Swings. A man sits down in the cold seat of the swing and pushes his legs, so deep in thought that his momentum was half-hearted. He doesn't have much time left, he's well past the age of naivety, but he wants to begin his end where it all started. He had forgotten the simple pleasure of moving but going nowhere, but he reminds himself of the simple joy from before he grew old. Even though his shoes weren't made for the stubborn mud, and his clothes weren't made for the wind nor the cold. He pushes harder, and as his muscles remember how to gain altitude, he remembers when he was just a kid with a swing set all alone, when he didn't have the heart to lie nor the reasons to cry, when he wasn't worried about his life summary being engraved in stone. But then real life took over. He moved out and moved on. He left this bliss behind as he drove away in a U-Haul, and just like the graffiti that stained his childhood playground, he now knew that the writing was blatantly on the wall. Church. He makes another journey down the aisle, except with no one at the end. He creaks the door open, takes a breath, and walks there again, avoiding eye contact with the reflections in the shattered glass, because the reflection might bear his soul without a conscience. It's much too late to right all of his wrongs, fix all of his mistakes, all the confession stalls are locked, overflowing with too much sin, because he's faked so many apologies that he wishes he could redo, because admitting the fact didn't mean that he was forgiven. The windows watch him stiffly, go sitting in the pews, the place where he was taught, in unrealistic simplicity, wrong from right, the splinters on the floor flattening under his worn soles, the place where he was taught to always follow the light. Now he wonders if he really wanted to be blinded by the light, that patronizing light that should have guided him in every endeavor. A man should take pain with only a grimace. Pain is a sign that he's alive. So if he suffered below, wouldn't he live forever? Shoes. He stands in the road all alone in his best suit, a street lined with apartments where time has ceased to move an unspectacular image in black and white. He pretends that the road is covered in shoes. A thousand shoes scattered about, a thousand people he'll never be, but the fewer shoes there are, the fewer people that came through. A thousand pathways he'll never walk, a thousand footprints that he'll never leave. He hopes he's lucky enough to be the very first shoe. The man straightens his waistcoat, he checks his watch. He doesn't have much longer, so he walks forward with age's grace. He walks to where the shoes grew fewer and fewer, because he wants to be the first and last footprint in this place. After he's gone, no one would dare to move a dead man's shoe, 
lest his ghost should still be wandering these streets. So he'll take off his shoes, sit down, and finally rest, until a softer ground hopefully meets his sock-covered feet. Hello, my name is Patricia Cannon, and it's a pleasure to share with you a poem today. I've been a registered nurse at UCSF since 2001. I've worked in cardiac critical care, neurointensive care, heme oncology, school nursing, and currently in research. My passion is my faith, photography, and the written word in all its forms. My poetry has appeared in several magazines and books. Inspiration is about the impact of childhood trauma, but I hope it also gives a human face to the spiritual saying that love throws fear outside. Inspiration. Loneliness began as a child when she would place with the utmost care, toy upon toy, on top of her small body until she was covered with a solitary sound of her own breathing, certain that this would shield her from the wrath of a human touch that would first wrap around her ankles and then pull her down into the watery deep of haunting deceit, the forbidden country where silence reigns and innocence drowns in salty tears and foamy sheets. Then, as a woman, she would place with the utmost care, book upon book, on top of her life, until she was covered with a multitude of voices, certain that this would shield her from the warmth of a human touch that would first wrap around her heart and then pull her down into the watery deep of intoxicating heat the borderless country where love reigns and exhalations rise like sweet-smelling clouds to the ceiling. But her child, barely a year old, pressed against her chest like life itself with all its fragile hope, inspires her to swim toward her true voice, stranded somewhere on the babbling sea of her own fear. Hello out there. This is Colleen Charlotte, Saskatoon poet. I will be reading my poem called Two Word Flip. Shut out, outcast, cast away, away from, from another, another sibling, sibling disconnected, disconnected roots, Roots dislodged, dislodged identity, identity shredded, shredded files, files redacted, redacted lives, lives impacted, impacted family, family lines, lines disrupted, disrupted chain, chain delinked, delinked sequence, sequence converted, converted circle. Viewless Wings Poetry Podcast is written and produced by James Moorhead. You can follow me on Twitter at Dublin Ranch, subscribe to the Viewless Wings Poetry Podcast, and follow us on viewlesswings.com or on Instagram at viewlesswings.